Oh, I'm not singing it again. Oh, no. Oh, no. Come on, Tim. Come back up. Woo. You're going to give me a heart attack. Make y'all sick. Anyway. All right. Woo. My heart's beating now. All right. God moves however he wants to. All right. Great intro to the message. All right. Well, so far we've been talking about Ezra. Uh, in his story, and what we've been seeing up to this point is Ezra has been seen nowhere in the story. If you haven't noticed, we've never said his name, we've never spoke about him, we've never talked about him because he hasn't been in the story yet. And that's what we find when we get to chapter 7. They, Ezra has recounted what has happened for the last about 60 years in the life of the people where God had brought about his timing and his moving in the land to cause a group of people. I call them uh, the the... The, the ones who just went out and broke out on that, that list, that vanguard who stepped out in front and went to the promised land and began the process of rebuilding. They were rebuilding the temple. Remember, they started on it and they got called on the carpet. They got held back. They were called to stop. And then they, they had just about got it ready and then God stopped them again. And they, they sat there for 16 years and did nothing on the temple. They worked on their homes. They worked on their businesses, but they didn't do anything at the house of the Lord. And then God sent those two prophets that we talked about last week, Haggai and Zechariah, to call the people to finish. And we saw how the guy Tatanai tried to stop them again, but God would have nothing to do with that. Now, up to this point, as I've already mentioned, Ezra has not been anywhere in the story. But when we turn to chapter 7, all of a sudden Ezra shows up. And we have fast-forwarded about 60 years, 57 or 58 years, depending on how you count the years in the Jewish calendar. But they have moved forward, and he is a man living in Babylonia still. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us he did not go, or his parents more likely did not go when the first group went. They stayed in captivity. They chose to remain in a land of captivity instead of going to the land of promise. They stayed. But Ezra was raised up in the family there, and his story enters here. Now, for those of you who saw uh, Esther's story this week, Esther happened before this, but after last week. So it was in between those two when when Xerxes was the king that all that happened. This is Artaxerxes, the next king that chops into the page. Only three points this morning. Good luck with getting out on time. First thing I want you to see is this. God answers God, uh, Ezra answers God's divine call. We're not going to read all the passage for the sake of time, but follow along with me for as I jump down a couple of verses one time here. He said this, the scripture says this, Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, come down to verse 6, we're not going to read his entire heritage. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked and here's an important phrase that we're going to see from this point to the end of the, of the book. For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the uh, uh, gatekeepers, and, and others. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now, he's telling us what's about to happen. We'll see in chapter 8 that he didn't actually get there until the next chapter, but he's telling us how it worked. Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which is in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. It took him four months to get there. For the good hand of his God, here it is again, was on him. For Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules 
to Israel. So here we are, almost 70, excuse me, 60 years later. The people of God have settled into the promised land. They've had struggles. They've had battles. They've had neighbors attacking them. Sounds like modern-day Israel today. I'm just telling you, just so much of it this is similar and repeated. But they had returned to this place. They began to build the altar. We were, we've already kind of gone through that. They've arranged for supplies to be built, and the naysayers tried to stop them. But they didn't stop them from living. They lived. They built their homes. They built their fam- families. They built their businesses. They built their, their, their crops. They built their, their, their herds, their fields. And after a 16-year break, they are getting called to, to build that. Now the temple has been complete. What do you do next? You ever got to the top of a spiritual battle and you've gone through a struggle, a hardship, and a time, and you get to the ending point and you go, what now? Have you ever noticed there's a letdown in that moment sometimes? We just kind of step back and go, whew, we're done. We're never done, are we? But that's what happens in the life of the people. And what happened to them in this moment is what so easily happens to us if we're not careful. When we're thinking about God's renewal and revival, we get to those moments when we say, okay, I've arrived. I've gotten here. Here it is. Now what? If we're not careful, we become complacent. We might become lackadaisical about our spiritual walk with the Lord. We might step back and go, oh, time for a break. I think that's what happened in the life of these folks here. They get to that point, they're going, okay, they struggled, we got here, we got this started, we got the temple built, and we saw last week they had this major worship experience when that ended, and wow, this was good. And and into this setting, the people living in the land have begun to intermingle their faith again, they've begun to allow pagan practices to enter in, and into that setting, God calls out our character that the book's named after, Ezra. Now, some scholars think that the first six chapters were written by a different guy, and chapter seven is where actually Ezra starts. I disagree. I think he's just doing a recounting to the background so that people understand what's going on. But into this setting, we find God call out Ezra to go and to do the one major task that they have not yet completed. You're going, well, what's left? They built their homes. They built their businesses. They built the temple. They're worshiping God. What they lack is city walls. You're going, Who cares? We don't need city walls. We don't need city walls in our day and age because we don't live in their culture that they did. But in their day, city walls were important because they were there to protect the citizens when the enemy came calling to attack. You would have the walls there that you would block out the enemy. They would have to breach the walls. They would have to tear down the walls. They would have to get through the walls. So walls were important in that day. Second, they were showing as a sign of stability. A city with walls was substantial. It was important. It's a place you could run for safety in time of trouble. It also carried a sense of independence. If you could put up a wall, you were telling to the other kings around you what? This is our land. We put up fences today to do that, don't we? Put up a fence and say, this is my land. Please don't come on my land unless you're coming to mow for free. Don't come over here, right? That's our land. But this is this idea that the why they needed to build the walls. And so God is going to send Ezra to this. But by the time... Uh, But the time had come to build this, and it was time to do this. And God chose a man with a rich spiritual heritage. We didn't read his heritage, but if you read it, you you would notice that his line goes all the way back to Aaron, not our student minister, but Aaron, who was around when Moses was there, right? This is an important character. He comes from an important lineage. And what we find in here is a man who is serious about the things of God. Ezra is. He says, this is what he's described more than once in the book, twice in the passage we read. He says, the good hand of the Lord was on him. You're talking about a high compliment. 
to say that the Lord's hand was on him. That's this guy that we're going to see. Ezra now, remember, he's a man, flawed, just like you and me, imperfect, just like you and me. But God was using him because he had set his heart on the things of God. He's going to say, I'm going to take your life and put it. And through such a person, God works. So we now introduce Ezra. What happens next? Most of this chapter is another letter. If you haven't noticed, much of the book of Ezra is a recounting of letter after letter after letter after letter. This is a letter from Artaxerxes. Not Xerxes from the days of Esther, but Artaxerxes, which was his son, who had come to power seven years before our story happens. And here we go. Here's his letter. So this is the copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra, the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and the statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, ancient letters always started with the sender first, so you knew who wrote it. We always sign ours at the end, right? But they signed theirs first. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra, the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. So stop right there. What we see first off is this. Ezra has been given a letter of permission, of empowering to go. Now you're going, is that a big deal? Yeah, it's a big deal. Pagan king Artaxerxes says, I'm going to send you with a command. I'm going to say go. And anybody else who wants to go with you from your people can go. You can go to that place and you can live there and you be a part of that. And what Ezra, as a man who's learned in the maze of God, is going to lead this group. And he gains here a blessing. Now, y'all let this sink in a second. A blessing from a pagan king to go do the things of God. Now, does that strike y'all odd like it does me? We think... Pagan people, godless people don't care about the things of God. Sometimes they do, even if they don't know God. They will do the right thing. Why? I believe it's because God has empowered them and inspired them to do that. But here's the direction. They're going to go, and their presence in the land will bolster the claims of the land. Their permission to go there will allow more Jewish folks to become part in the promised land. And you all remember, God is working in history to set up the place from where Jesus would be born about three, 400 years later and become come to be our Savior. So he sends the letter with five big things. I'm going to shoot through these real fast for the sake of time. The first one is in verse 14. You are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law. Now, first of all, Ezra is being sent to say, uh, go talk to your God about us. Now, we saw this happen back in chapter 1 when Cyrus said, go and pray for me. Cyrus didn't believe in the God of the Bible, but he did want him to his people to pray for him. He says, go and do that. So now this king is saying, go and do kind of the same thing. He goes back and see what's going on. After this time, they should be doing great progress. They should be developing great things in that land. And Artaxerxes understood that if his people there were successful, his kingdom would be successful. A good leader looks around and says, and it's not about me. It's about the ones that are under my leadership that I try to encourage and do that. He was successful in the kingdom. Second thing, Ezra was also generously funded. Let's look at parts of verse 7, 15 through 20. He was to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors had freely offered to the God of Israel. Stop right there. Did you see what happened? The king and his seven counselors, who aren't followers of God, have said, Here, take some cash, some money, some gold, and go do something good for your God and in my kingdom. 
He says, go be a part of this. So that's the second big thing I want you to see. He's being sent to do that. He's sent, not just sent, but sent with generous funding to do what he needs to do. A man committed to the ways of God, he saw God give him everything he needed. He went to do that. Plus, come on down to verse uh, 17. With this money you shall buy with all diligence, buy bulls, rams, lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings. Verse 18, whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given to you for the service of the house of your God deliver to the king, to the, to the, to, to the, to the place you're going to. What he's saying is, I want you to go, but I want you to go and be successful. I want to bless you. Ezra's also given freedom to take whatever he has to do that. Third, he's going to be fully stocked when he gets there. You know, when you show up at the new place, Got a new place to stock, right? How are you going to do that? Well, King Artaxerxes takes care of that. Look at verse 21. And I, Artaxerxes the king, made a decree to all the treasures in the province beyond the river. Whatever, whatever. Boy, you should, boy how many of you are going to tell your kids, oh, whatever you need, go for it. Oh, right? Here's what he says. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the Lord, of the God of heaven requires of you, let it be done with all diligence. And he gives a list of up to some limits, but he does say go do what you need. You're going to be stocked to accomplish what you've got to do. He's given written permission to go and do it and also to get what he needs to do it along with what he's bringing with him to accomplish what he's been sent to do. Let me remind you, by a pagan king. Pagan king speaking into this moment. He's not on a shoestring budget. He's also exempted for something that many of us would love to have, for at least fully, to be exempted from taxation. Look at verse 23, 24. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, and other servants of the house. He's given a tax exemption. Would you like to have that? Well, God's giving it to him. Why? Not so he can have a party on his own, but so he can take what he has and invest it in the kingdom of God to bless others, to accomplish good things. And he's given a tax exemption to do it. And Artaxerxes is doing this kind of for partly self-serving reasons, but also to spare the wrath of God, but really because he wants the people he's sending to be successful. And then Ezra has to do something else that's kind of interesting. Look at verse 25. He's going to establish a judicial system. And you're going, no, wait a second. You mean for 60 years the people of Israel have been living in the promised land with no judges or rulers or anything? Apparently so. According to the wisdom of your God, the king says, that it is you in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river. Remember, we talked about that being the land of Israel today. All such such as as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them, you will teach them. He says, set up a place and a way that the people can live ordered lives, structured lives, safe lives, good lives. He's given a grand commission by God. Now, if you were in that situation and you've just heard that amazing letter and been given this awesome task to go do, and your name is Ezra, how do you respond? Look at the third thing. Ezra says, praise God. Sometimes we look at a gift like that and think, well, it came from the government, so because that's really what it did. It came from the government, so it couldn't be a good thing. If God's given it, it's a good thing. Look at verse 27. His response was this, I want to praise the Lord. Blessed be the God 
the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. Isn't that a great perspective? Sometimes we look at people in political situations and we think, oh man, that guy's a pagan. She's a pagan. They're awful. They're terrible. There's no way God could use them. I'm here to tell you, Artaxerxes was a nasty dude, but God chose to use him to accomplish something good in the people of God. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage. Why? Here it is again. For the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. So we've got this process in motion. In verse 9, we, we see it's going to take them about four months. They're not quite there yet. We're going to see in the next chapter how they get there. But God is moving in a mighty way among a pagan king accomplishing good things in the names of God's people. Boy, that'll throw your theology into a kind of a tizzy, won't it? To think, man, God can use somebody like that. He does. When God moves, we ought to be grateful however he does it. Remember, they're not coming to build an altar. It's done. They're coming to, not coming to build a temple. It's done. They're coming to reestablish the culture of the land by bringing law and order to that area through the judges and judicial system to bring safety and security through the new walls that are going to be built. And the proper response to such a act is to say this, praise God. He's working. Blessed be the Lord, for the hand of the Lord was on him. Ezra understood it wasn't him. I suspect had God not broken into Ezra's life calling him to do this, he would have lived his life in obscurity and you would have never heard of him at all. And yet God chose to use him and was faithful. So what do we do with this? Three quick things. Number one, if you're going to really experience God, and I think you get this from Ezra's life, if you're going to experience God, you've got to choose faithfulness. What does that mean? Faithfulness is doing the right thing no matter who sees what you're doing. Sometimes faithfulness is the hardest thing to do when nobody's around, isn't it? Nobody's around so we can do what we want to. Have you ever noticed that when nobody's around, you get a message from the Lord? He says, don't do that, right? Follow him. Do what he calls you to do. Think back to the days of Ezra's daddy. And you're going, who was Ezra's daddy? Well, we read the genealogy. We know his name. That's all we know about him. It could have been his granddad. We're not sure. But one of those two guys were alive when God's people were given permission to go to the promised land. And they could have joined the team. But they didn't. How do I know that? Because Ezra's still living in captivity. Daddy, granddad didn't say, let's go. This is our chance. Let's get out of here. Let's go back to the promised land. Let's go back to where God wants us. But coming out of that decision to not return to the land, Ezra's born in captivity, and his life is described, and the phrase that we're going to see again and again through the rest of this sermon series is this, the hand of the Lord was upon him. Wow. How, does, how, do, you, how do you get that? How do you get to that place where someone says, oh, the hand of the Lord was on her. The hand of the Lord's on him. How do you get to that place? Well, that's a question I hope we can answer over the next few weeks. But the hand of the Lord was on him. It's a direct outcome, I believe, of choosing to follow God regardless of who's around. 
or even who knows you exist. He was so committed to the ways of God, his life moved in a direction that God was leading. And instead of emulating the unfaithfulness of daddy or granddad, he said, no, no, today I'm going this direction. What caused him to do that? I think there's something about the leading of God in there we don't want to forget. But it's also this idea that we say to ourselves, I'm going to live my life for an audience of one, for the Lord. That's how we experience God, by being faithful. Jesus himself laid out that principle when he said this. He said, if anyone serves me, he must what? Follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. It's a choice we make daily, hourly, moment by moment, that says I'm going to follow God's leading. Because I want to see God move in my life. And you go, well, what if you do all that and God doesn't do something amazing like getting to lead people out of captivity? He'll do other things amazing in your life as you're faithful. I think one of the greatest testimonies we could have is to get to the end of our life and someone stand up in the front of a church at a funeral with us, our remains laying in a box. And they were able to honestly say, she was faithful. He was faithful to the Lord. Don't you want that to be said about you when that day comes? Choose faithfulness to experience God. Second, we've got to also understand that God moves however He will. You know how much control you have over God? Zero, nothing, nada, none. If we could control God, He wouldn't be God. God moves however he wants to. That's because God moves as he will. If we ever come to the place where we start thinking, well, I can tell God what he needs to do, or I can instruct God on what he needs to accomplish in my life. I've always found it interesting. There's some circles within Christian faith that they love to come in prayer and say, God, you have to do this. Oh, that scares me to death. What right do I have to come to God and tell him to do anything? Well, I'm his child. I can tell it. No, you can't. Scriptures don't give us that permission because God moves as he wills. We can remind him of his scriptures. God, your word tells me this. And if I do this, you should do this. But at the end of the day, God, you're God. And I'm not going to step in your way. It's best when God initiates the moving. Now, that doesn't mean we just sit around and go, well, I'll just wait and do nothing until he does. No, we still need to be involved. We still need to be moving. We still need to be acting. We still need to be accomplishing and preparing. And what Ezra had done, apparently up to this point, was he had spent his life preparing for God to move in that way. He had been faithful to study God's Word, to study the law, to study the, the Scriptures that he had at that point. He didn't have the New Testament yet. He just had the Old Testament. He didn't even have the book of Ezra yet. Come on now. It hadn't been written. So what does God have for your life and my life, for our church's life? Can I tell you something? I have no idea. I do know this, that as we're faithful and trust Him to move, He will move in His way. Listen to the words of Isaiah about how God works. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your ways. 
And so since we're not able to fully understand how God works and fully grasp his, his leading, our task is to do this. Take one step at a time, day by day by day. God, what do you have next? What's your next direction for me? What's your next passion for me? What's your next thought for me? What's your next direction for me? Go do that. And he takes you through it. One last thought I want you to see. And it's this. You sow good seed to experience his blessings. There's a principle I think we learned from the entirety of Ezra's life, and we already kind of touched on it a little bit, but I want you to see it. The seed we sow comes back to us either as blessings or curses. One or the other. Ezra's described as a man who had a long commitment to the Lord. He'd been walking day by day unto the Lord. He'd, he'd learned his ways. He committed God's word to memory. He's been doing what this principle is, is sowing good seed. If you sow bad seed, what are you going to get when you reap? bad stuff. When you sow good stuff, you experience the good stuff of God. That's consistent with how God works. Paul described it to the church at this way. He says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I think the high call here is one that's kind of a theme through the whole book of Ezra to this point. Is not everything's going to go well. There's going to be struggles along the way. We've already seen a couple of major episodes before Ezra shows up. We're going to see some more as we move forward. If I remember right, reading ahead, he kind of has to sneak into the city of Jerusalem when he gets there next week. I mean, it, it really isn't easy. But as we're faithful, God will move and we'll experience his blood. I think sometimes the greatest experience with God is not when we find the great victory ahead of us. Listen, but it's when we experience the hardship and he carries us through that, teaching us what we need to know to be ready for the next step in life. I'm convinced that we grow more spiritually in the hardships than in the easy days. When God allows or causes or brings, however you want to look at it, struggles to our lives. And we go, okay, I'm going to choose faithfulness. I'm going to choose to stay with. I'm going to keep walking day by day by day. And I'm not going to give up. My challenge to you this morning is if you know the Lord, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep being faithful. Keep doing the things that God's calling you to do. If you're not doing the things you need to be, start. Ezra's had to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. You say, well, I've wasted all these years. You know how many of those years you can change behind you? None of them. But you can make a decision today to move forward. And for some of you, that's a decision that says this, I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior. I'm going to make a public stand for Him, and I'm going to live the days I have ahead unto the Lord. I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for loving us. Thank You for blessing us. Thank You for moving in our hearts in amazing ways. And we pray your blessing on these few moments as we respond to you. Father, for some, probably for many of us, it's a response that we just have right where we're sitting. It says, God, I want to be faithful today. I want to be more faithful tomorrow. I want to be faithful to you the, right, the days you have for me ahead. 
But Father, maybe there's one here that says, I've not made that decision public and stand for him. I need to do that. Father, I pray that you'd give them the courage and the faith to follow through with that. In Jesus' name. We pray your hand on this time in your name. Amen.